Mountain Town, The Filsons, by Ivory Harlow. I, what time did you crack open the first cold one? Callie asked her brother with exasperation. He'd worked through lunch, resetting the leaning fence posts on the east side of the ranch. At least when Colton worked alongside the hired hands, he took breaks and kept alcohol consumption to a minimum. Though Reggie, the ranch manager, was their real boss, they liked and respected Colt as the landowner. But today was Saturday. The cowboys were off. Colt was working alone. Bringing lunch to the worksite would be a great excuse to check up on her brother without the appearance that she was doing so. Might as well get a ride in, Callie thought. She saddled a horse, packed the lunch and a few bottles of water into the saddlebag, and headed in his direction. She waved as she approached him, her goodwill went to the wind when she approached him and saw his bloodshot eyes. She could smell the alcohol on his breath. None of your business, he answered. Her concern about well-being didn't seem to bother him. Nor did her disappointment in his ability to get and stay sober. Callie thought it should matter to him. After all, I'm the only one he has. Their parents passed away 23 years ago. It was a warm spring day when Callie got the call at College Station. She was in her second year of studies at Texas A&M University. Colton had dropped out before completing his freshman year of college. He returned home to the ranch to work for their father. The distance and Callie's infrequent visits home meant they weren't as close. They had been inseparable throughout childhood. It's mom and dad, Colton said between sobs. Callie turned up her cell phone volume to hear and make sense of what he was saying. Dad crashed his plane into a mountain. They died on impact. Mr. Filson was a hobby pilot. He regularly took the Mrs. Filson joyriding in his single-engine aircraft over their 260,000-acre ranch, basin, and surrounding mountains. Her father was a skilled pilot with thousands of flight hours logged at the time of the crash. But Callie knew unexpected turbulence or some natural hazard could take down his aircraft, regardless of Mr. Filson's proficiency in flying and familiarity with the terrain. All assets, including the entire ranch estate, were willed to Callie and Colt. Her father's lawyer explained the Filsons had also established a trust that would wire monthly payments to support them indefinitely. Filson Ranch LLC would continue operations, with or without his children's involvement. The rest of the Filson family fortune, which dated back to the 1880s, was secure in an endowment given to the newly established Filson Foundation. Callie had been in business school long enough to know her father structured things the way he did to avoid capital gains and forcing his children to fill his boots if they didn't have it in their hearts to do so. At 21 years old, neither of them had the skills, knowledge, or experience to run the family business, but they trusted longtime ranch manager Reggie's leadership of ranch operations to get the job done, just as their father had. As a result, Filson Ranch continued to grow in profitability after their parents' death. The twins and Reggie met with the accountant once a quarter to review current financials and forecasts. Filson Corp's solvency ratio is 2 to 1. Your net income is strong. Your father would be proud of how you've honored his legacy, the CPA assured them. Thanks to Reggie, Callie said. I don't know nothing about solvency, Reggie shrugged off the praise. But you know about beef, 
Colt stated matter-of-fact, we couldn't do it without you. I love this land, and you kids, like you were our own. Reggie spoke for himself and his wife Bonita, who was lead domestic at the farm. She'd cooked, cleaned, and helped care for the twins since they were born. Her role in their lives became more prominent after their mother's passing. 2. Callie was diagnosed with leukemia shortly after the twins turned one. Colton remembered his mother and Callie returning from an overnight visit to the city. He knew they were there for Callie to have medical tests that were not available in Mountain Town, but no more. That night after Callie retired to her room, Colt asked his mother about his twin. The doctors found leukemia. It is a type of cancer where bone marrow makes too many white blood cells, Colton's mother explained. He'd worried about Callie since she started staying home from school more days than she went. Unlike Colt, Callie loved school. She missed most of sixth grade getting leukemia treatments in the city. His mother stayed with her at the children's hospital, while Colt stayed with his father on the ranch. Reggie and Bonita were already a constant presence in their lives, but even more so during Callie's illness and recovery. Before Callie's illness, Bonita would prepare supper for the Filsons, then return to Reggie and her casita on the ranch. While Callie and her mother were away in the city, Bonita made family-style meals for Mr. Filson, Colt, Reggie, and herself at the big house. Callie made a full recovery. By fall, she was ready to start middle school in Mountain Town. By then, Reggie and Bonita had become a welcome part of the Filson's evening routine. Both kids referred to them as Uncle Reggie and Tia, Aunt, Bonita. Family isn't always blood, Mr. Wilson told the twins. It's the people in your life who want you in theirs. They had no clue how true his words would be in the future. 3. The Filson Foundation became Callie's life work after graduating with a business degree for A&M. The foundation was the first and only community foundation in the region. Though her father's original intentions were to establish the nonprofit as a tax shelter for the family fortune, Callie's vision for it was a community organization to distribute grants to help local causes. As its director, Callie focused funding initiatives on community development, youth enrichment, and natural resource conservation projects. She'd accidentally found a philanthropic niche. It turned out other billionaire cowboys and rich oil men were delighted to make tax-deductible donations that directly improved and preserved the land they grew up on, instead of urban projects favored by big city foundations. Callie tried to rope Colton into managing some of the local conservation projects. He had started his degree in natural resource conservation before dropping out of A&M. She thought he might find the projects interesting and give him something to do, aside from drinking beer. You have my blessing to fund whatever projects you want. Colton took a sip of his beer and set it on the table next to his recliner. I know that. I'm asking if you want to help. Nah, he said and turned his attention back to the NASCAR race on TV. After their parents passed, Colt moved out of the big house and into his dad's old hunting cabin. The rustic cabin had three rooms, a bedroom, a bathroom, and a living-slash-dining area that was barely big enough for his 72-inch TV and recliner. A normal person would go crazy in such a small space, but somehow it suited her brother fine. Nah, you're the do-gooder Callie. Not me, 
She leaned on the wall where the TV was so that Colton couldn't watch the race without looking past her. He pretended not to notice. Callie sighed. Don't forget about family supper at the big house Friday night. Twice he'd not shown up. She'd sent Reggie up to check on him and found him passed out in the recliner. I'll be down, he sounded annoyed. The twins were inseparable when they were children. They climbed cottonwoods, explored canyons, and crossed creeks together. Callie remembered her father helping them saddle the horses before they headed out for a day of discovery. It's your responsibility to look after your sister, he told Colt. Back then, Colton took the charge seriously. He always rode out front to ensure her safe passage. When did the tables turn? Callie wondered, feeling burdened by her brother. 4. Most mornings Colton woke up resolved that today he would get sober. By midday however, he'd softened his stance on drinking. I can have just one drink. I can drink now and then, like a normal person. I don't need to drink, I drink because I want to. By evening, he felt powerless to the pull. One beer never hurt. Beer isn't hard liquor. Inevitably, a single beer turned to two, three, a six-pack. Or he started with beer, then followed with whiskey, pronouncing he'd ruined his chance at getting sober today, anyway. There is always tomorrow. Colt had his first drink at a high school party. He wasn't a fan of the flavor, but he liked how alcohol made him feel more outgoing. He had the courage to flirt with girls. They were tipsy too, and responsive to his advances. He got caught once. The sheriff delivered him to Mr. and Mrs. Wilson and didn't press charges. It surprised Colt that his father, who he had never seen take a drink in his life, was not angry. Your grandpa was an alcoholic and his father. Shakespeare wrote, the sins of the father are to be laid upon the children. I gave up the drink hoping to protect you from it, but I can't, he warned, the drink is in your blood. You, more than your friends, have to be careful. Colt shrugged off his father's concern. When he went away to college, he felt free to be his own man for the first time in his life. Partying on weekends turned to partying on weeknights when he didn't have an early class the next morning. Eventually, he was drinking when he did. The college registrar put him on probation. Colt got kicked out before completing his first year. Back home in Mountain Town, Colt drank alone to pass the time. His friends had moved on. Some to college or trade school. Others got jobs in the oil fields. He worked alongside the cowboys on the ranch, sometimes while drunk, but none of them would say anything about it because they had coolers of silver bullets in the back of their trucks, too. Losing half his life to alcohol was never the plan, and yet, here he was, a 42-year-old drunk. If it weren't for the monthly checks from the trust fund, Colt would have ended up in jail or a ditch. Callie's nudging him to get involved in foundation work, visiting him at the cabin, and inviting him down to the big house for family supper on Fridays meant to show Colt she cared. But it only made him feel ashamed of what he'd become. The day of their parents' funeral was the first day he willed himself to get sober, for Callie's sake. But he faltered while Callie successfully worked through her grief. He knew she felt responsible and sacrificed for him. Callie said she never wanted to marry or have children. But Colt knew it's because being tethered to the ranch and him made it impossible. 
Colt swallowed the last of the whiskey from his glass and set it on the table. He stumbled to his bedroom to sleep it off. Tomorrow was a new day, another chance. V. The Filson Foundation headquarters office was downtown Mountain Town on Main Street. There was a reception desk and a small reception area, a conference room, and three offices. One for Callie, the finance director, and the grant specialist. Callie bought the building in 2004, when it became clear she could not run a charitable organization by herself, from the big house's kitchen table. She thought it would be good for the foundation to have a physical presence in the community and boost credibility with large donors who came to Mountain Town to see their dollars in action. The building's stark white walls and modern decor made her feel self-conscious about tracking in ranch dust on her boots, so she hung hanging historic maps of the Filson Ranch and bleached cattle skulls on the walls. Callie commissioned the cowboys to move her father's heavy wood desk made from the original Filson barn circa 1883, and his old buckskin leather chair from the big house to HQ. That afternoon, Callie was in her father's chair reviewing the final report for the Mountain Town Library Grant Project. Librarian Raya Riley had put every penny of the Filson Foundation funding to good use, restoring the historic building and adding technology upgrades. Callie began to draft an email to tell Raya how happy she was with the outcome, when she felt a jolt of pain. She cupped her hand over the front of her neck, then reached for her iced coffee and took a big gulp. Callie paused and fearfully waited while she swallowed. Callie developed a persistent cough in late fall. She shrugged it off since it was cold and flu season. By December, the daily fatigue was unbearable. One morning, Callie nodded off at her desk during a 9 a.m. conference call. She made a doctor appointment as soon as the call ended. I'd like to run some blood tests and do an ultrasound, Dr. Shannon, the local general practitioner, told Callie. She knew about Callie's childhood history with cancer. Shannon didn't want to scare her with statistics, but leukemia survivors were more likely to develop certain cancers in adulthood, thyroid cancer being one. Callie was at HQ the next morning when the receptionist knocked on her office door. Doc Shannon is here to see you. Shannon looked glum when she entered the room. I don't mean to impose, but I thought it'd be better to discuss your test results in person, there is a nodule on the thyroid. The blood test showed abnormal levels of thyroid-stimulating hormone. It's not enough to diagnose thyroid cancer, but I'd like you to see an oncologist in the city. I'm disappointed, but not surprised, Callie said. If she was honest, she'd known all along she wasn't simply feeling under the weather. Would you like patient transport to the city and back? Shannon asked. Everybody in Mountain Town knew about Colt's drinking. They also knew he was her only living relative. I'm going to ask Colton. He might not be up to it. But I'm going to ask. Of course. Shannon hesitated before continuing. At risk of overstepping my boundaries, it would help reduce your stress level. I don't mean to lecture you about your family or dabble in your business. Shannon seemed to suggest Colton was a major source of Callie's stress. I know you're right, Callie said. She walked Shannon to the door. Before she opened it, Shannon wrapped her in an embrace. 6. Callie drove to the city the next day. She had a half dozen tests, stayed overnight, 
then met with the oncologist. The cancer doctor confirmed what Dr. Shannon suspected. We caught it early. The cancer is isolated in your thyroid. I recommend removing the tumor with surgery and then following up with radioactive iodine therapy, RIT. RIT uses a radioactive form of iodine to kill any remaining thyroid cancer cells. She scheduled Callie's surgery for the first week of January. Can't think of a better way to kick off a new year, Callie said nervously. Cancer-free? Me neither, she responded with a smile that put Callie at ease. Callie would be in the hospital in the city for three days, then she could receive RIT therapy at home in Mountain Town with assistance from a home health nurse. Although the oncologist could not make promises, she seemed optimistic that surgery and therapy would kill the cancer. You caught it very early. The cancer has not spread beyond the thyroid, she said, you are young and otherwise healthy. At 42, Callie did not think of herself as young. But she was young, compared to the oncologist, who was 59. The oncologist disclosed her age when she told Callie that radioactive iodine therapy has been associated with irregular menstrual cycles, earlier menopause, and delayed pregnancy. Women who receive radioactive iodine therapy must avoid pregnancy at least one year after treatment. No need to worry about that, Callie chuckled. I'm 42, single, and I don't expect to be pregnant, ever. That's what I thought too. Then I met my second husband and had a baby when I was in my early 40s. Our daughter is graduating high school this spring. It annoyed me that they called my pregnancy geriatric then. Today, it's far more common for women, especially professional women, to have children later. So, I must advise you to wait a year post-treatment to become pregnant. I understand, Callie acknowledged, thinking she'd much rather bottle feed a new calf. From the time she was a little girl, Callie knew she didn't want to have children. Her friends played house by cradling baby dolls. She played house by building forts. Callie was a lanky, freckled-faced kid, with hair the color of straw. During treatment for leukemia, she got too thin. Her skin looked translucent. Her hair fell out, including her eyebrows and eyelashes. It took a full year after treatment for Callie to recover her health, but when she did, it came back in full force. She grew five inches taller the summer they turned 13. Her straw-like hair grew long and golden. Her freckles returned too, but speckling her nose and cheekbones and made her look sprightly. Callie had her choice of boys during high school and college, but unlike her friends, who set their sights on someone to marry, Callie didn't date seriously. She broke more hearts than she felt right about, but by no fault of her own. She was always upfront about not wanting to settle down and have a family. Colton was the opposite. He'd always talked about wanting his children to have the childhood they'd had growing up on the ranch. Another reason you should get out more, Callie told him, unless you marry a javelina, you won't find a girl to marry if you never leave the ranch. Bonita thought a good woman could straighten him out. I'm a good woman and I haven't persuaded him to get sober, Callie said. Romantic love has special power over a man, Bonita said. Callie could only hope she was right. She'd also like to be an aunt, see his kids galloping around the property, and most of all, see Colt find happiness again. 7. Reminder, Family Supper 
Big house. 7. Kelly texted Colt. Can you come early? We need to talk first. Okay. Colton replied. Colt showed up at quarter to seven. Fifteen minutes was hardly enough time to tell him they were chopping a cancer lump out of her throat before Reggie and Bonita arrived. Reggie and Bonita will be here any minute, so I will cut to the chase. I saw a doctor in the city this week, she started. You were gone overnight. I noticed your truck was gone. Colt said. It surprised Callie he'd paid attention. Is everything all right? No. It's cancer again. What kind? Colt watched his sister intensely for signs of emotion, but Callie was stoic. Thyroid. Early stage. I'm having surgery to remove it. After that I'll get radiation treatment at home. Callie heard Reggie's distinct knock-a-knock at the door. I'll get it, cow. Colt touched his sister's arm gently before rushing to welcome his aunt and uncle. Cal was their family's pet name for Callie. Colt hadn't called her that in a long time. It made her smile. Maybe she could rely on him more than she thought. Colton did not bring the subject back up while they enjoyed the home-cooked meal and one another's company. It was Callie's news to share, not his. She waited for a lull in the conversation to share her diagnosis and treatment plan with the entire family. Bonita's eyes welled with tears. Callie leaned over to comfort her. You shouldn't be the one comforting me. Bonita said. How can we help? I've thought a lot about this. Doc Shannon is sending a nurse to the big house during weekday daytime hours. Solid food might be troublesome, but you can make me gallons of homemade menudo bonita. The broth-based Mexican soup was Callie's favorite and would go down easy. Of course I will, and trace leches and flan. Bonita said, your favorite soft treats to spark your appetite. At the mention of the dairy-rich desserts, Callie knew her low-iodine diet was out the window. Reggie, I'll need your help with the animals in the retirement barn. The retirement barn was the small barn behind the big house. It was the place working horses went to live out their lives after they'd been decommissioned. The old horses were easygoing and impossible to scare. They made good pleasure trail riding horses and great pets. Callie babied them with treats and special care that made Reggie roll his eyes. Reggie agreed to fluff their hay the way they liked, if it would aid Callie's recovery. The goats and chickens too. Callie reminded him, yes. Cabros y Palos. He sighed. He turned to Colton. Don't tell the cowboys I've gone soft. Colton, can you bring me to the city for surgery? She hesitated. We'll need to stay three days. Of course I can. Callie didn't broach the topic about moving down to the big house to stay with her until she'd recovered. She waited for Reggie and Bonita to leave for the night before he circled back to the topic. It was dusk by then. I'll help feed, Colton accompanied Callie to the barn for evening chores. The retirement stable was small compared to the working barns. It was a smoke-blue gable-style structure, shaped like an A, with a steep roof pitch. A cupola marked the center of the roof. Callie's mother commissioned a local blacksmith to make a copper Hereford bull weather vane for ornamentation. It still stood proudly on top of the barn. Mrs. Filson wasn't much of a rancher herself. 
She rarely went to the working barns with Colt, Callie, and their dad, but she loved the look of the small barn behind the big house. Their mother loved it so much that one year for Christmas, Reggie built a miniature version as a chicken coop. Bonita painted it the same shade of smoke blue with white trim. They presented it to her with a rooster weather vane on top. When Callie returned home after college graduation, she moved into the big house. The first thing she did was start a small flock of laying hens and bought two pygmy goats to browse the pasture alongside the retired horses. She liked to sit on the back porch and work on her laptop in the evening and watch her motley crew in the pasture. Tonight, the animals trotted towards the barn when they saw the twins coming. Sorry we're late, Callie announced. I'll pitch hay, Colt said and grabbed the wheelbarrow. Callie opened the stall doors, checked water buckets, and rationed out each animal's feed. Colt came behind her, separating hay flakes among stalls. There is no better smell in December than breaking open a bale of spring hay, he said. I like the goat's sweet grain smell better, Callie admitted. She opened the gate where the animals were waiting impatiently. Each went to its designated stall without direction, including the two goats, who shared a single stall. Callie and Colton slide the stall doors closed behind them. You sure have them trained. They are highly food motivated, Callie smiled. Next, they headed to the co-op to collect eggs. The ladies were already inside, dozing off on the roost. Inside roosting. Colt closed the coop door to keep coyotes, raccoons, and snakes out. I know Reggie will feed the animals, and Bonita will feed you, but I don't think it's a good idea for you to be alone. I'll have a nurse. Weekdays. I can take care of myself. I don't doubt it. It's just I don't want you to. I was thinking I'd come down and stay for a while, Colt suggested, I'll fix up the guest room on the opposite side of the house. He anticipated Callie would decline because of the potential she might expose others to radiation during RIT. I don't want you to worry. Well, I am worried. I'll worry less if I'm here. I'm used to being alone, Callie said matter-of-fact. So am I, Colton said. Eight, Colton Filson. The receptionist called. Callie is in the recovery room. The doctor will speak with you now. Colton had been sitting in the or waiting room, nervously turning his cowboy hat in his hand for three hours when the receptionist called him back to speak with the surgeon. She led him to a sterile consultation room where Callie's surgeon greeted him with a smile. Mr. Filson, ma'am, he tipped his hat. Your sister's procedure went well. I removed the tumor and saw no sign of spreading. We will follow with RIT to ensure the cancer is completely gone, but I am confident she will make a full recovery. I can really use a drink. Colton pushed the thought away. He had been on an emotional roller coaster since Callie broke the news two weeks ago. Colt didn't think he drank to cover his emotions, but when Callie shared her diagnosis, he started weaning himself off the drink. He had had more success than setbacks. Thank you, Doc, he said. The bright lights and constant beeping made Callie feel anxious during her stay in the hospital. It wasn't until Colton lifted her into his truck, reclined the passenger seat, and cushioned around her with pillows, that she experienced restful sleep. He reached his arm across the console to hold her back every time he hit a patch of rough road. Sorry, I'm trying to avoid them. I'm just happy we're off the interstate. 
That means we're almost home, she said. Bonita had prepared the big house for their arrival. She filled the fridge with soft foods and prepared the guest room for Colton. Callie immediately noticed the lack of alcohol in the fridge and on Colt's breath. The old blue cooler was no longer in the back of his truck. He'd been caring and attentive. His blue eyes were clear. She wouldn't wish for cancer, but if getting cancer is what it took to get her twin back, she was glad for it. 9. Colton had just gotten out of the shower on Monday morning when he heard the doorbell ring. He ran a hand through his sandy blonde hair to keep water from dripping on his face. He glanced in the mirror to make sure there wasn't toothpaste on his clean-shaven face. Colt was the palest he'd ever been after spending three days in the fluorescent light of the hospital instead of outside on the ranch. He'd also noticed how drinking had aged him. He looked older than his twin. Colt dressed quickly, snapping the buttons on his western shirt as he approached the door. Hi, a blonde woman with emerald green eyes greeted him. She was wearing scrubs. I'm here to care for Callie. Doc Shannon sent me. Yes, of course, he was taken by her appearance and stumbled over his words. The word nurse made him think of the no-nonsense, matronly women at the hospital, slinging cases of saline like they were calves. This nurse was petite and pretty. She had a sweet smile. He kept her eye contact a little too long. He realized it when she looked away. Please come in. Callie knows you are coming. She will be happy you are here. I'm Callie's brother, Colt. It's nice to meet you. I'm Julie. Colt led Julie through the foyer and down the hall towards Callie's room. Your ranch is beautiful. I've driven past it a hundred times, but being on the land makes me see it in a new light. On horseback is the best, Colton said, thinking how he'd like to show Julie the ranch on horseback sometime. Colton wrapped the door frame with his knuckles to alert Callie of their presence. He introduced the women, then excused himself so Julie could tend to his sister, wishing he could linger a few minutes. X. Hey Julie, Callie called from the living room recliner. Julie had been a daily part of their lives for three weeks now. She no longer rang the doorbell, she let herself inside. Colt took orders from her for the nights and weekends shift, though he rarely left the ranch while Julie was on day shift. Every so often, Callie caught a hint of flirtation between them, but Colton had only disclosed he thought Julie was a skilled nurse. Today was Callie's first radioactive iodine treatment. We are ready for our briefing, nurse. Colt said as Julie walked into the living room. He set his tablet on the coffee table to give Julie his full attention. He noticed how bright her blonde hair looked when she wore royal blue scrubs. Good morning. Julie said in a sing-song voice. How are you feeling today, Cal? She'd heard Colt calling Callie by her pet name and taken to it. Both Cal and Colt found it endearing. Great actually. But not for long I reckon. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Julie frowned. She would administer the radioactive iodine treatment to Callie in capsule form. The capsule releases radioactive iodine which circulates through your body in your bloodstream, Julie explained. Your thyroid gland absorbs the treatment, but it has little effect on other cells in your body. Nevertheless, your body gets a very high dose of radiation. 
Most of my patients feel nauseated after taking it. How long will the nausea last? Callie asked. A couple of hours. You can't eat or drink anything during that time. You'll probably lose your appetite for a couple of days. I'll believe it when I see it. She's not one to miss meals. She tried to get me to smuggle fries into the hospital for her after surgery, Colt said lightheartedly. If you feel good enough for fries, my work here is done. I'll make a special trip to Carl's and get some for you. I'll test your radioactivity level regularly. After a few days and a lot of liquids, it'll be back to business as usual. Julie turned to Colton. The treatment makes Callie radioactive. We will need to stay a safe distance from Callie's room and minimize the amount of time we are in the room with her. Colton nodded. He was looking forward to the extra alone time with Julie. The next few days unfolded as Julie anticipated. Callie slept through most of the discomfort. Julie and Colt passed the time watching Bonanza reruns. How have you not seen Bonanza before? He asked when Julie admitted she's only seen Michael Landon in Little House on the Prairie. I've always thought of him as Laura's dad. Now I think of him as a hot cowboy. You're welcome. I guess, Colton laughed. The landscape looks like your ranch. Julie pointed to the screen. I swear I've passed that inverse pyramid-shaped mountain coming down the drive. I think they filmed Bonanza in the San Jacinto Mountains, California. The mountains here look so different from the hills of West Virginia. Cal mentioned you are from there. That you are new in town. I'm not new. I've lived in Mountain Town for five years. Don't take it personally. It doesn't mean you aren't one of us. Folks around here call you new unless you were born here. How long have the Filsons been in Mountain Town? 140 years. So y'all ain't new? Julie said, mocking his drawl. Colton smiled at her teasing. Do you go back east often? Me? No. But my son Dylan goes three times a year. He's there visiting his dad for winter break right now. I miss him terribly. It surprised Colt. Julie had never mentioned having a son. He wondered if she had to Callie, but then Callie wouldn't have much to contribute to a conversation about kids. How old is your boy? Twelve, Julie's face lit up. I took him to a rodeo in Dallas once. He has been obsessed with cowboys and horses ever since. I told him all about your ranch. He thinks I'm working in heaven. Does he ride? Yes. His grandparents, Hal and Norma, bought him a horse. We live in town, so Dylan keeps it on their property just outside of Mountain Town. At first I was angry about them spoiling him and worried he'd lose interest in the expensive and time-consuming gift. But he gave up on video games completely. He spends all his time outside with that horse and his grandpa Hal. There is no better way to be a kid, Colt smiled at the memory. When did your parents move here? Oh. They aren't actually blood-related. We just claim them. They've lived in Mountain Town forever. I get it. Reggie and Bonita aren't blood-related. Mom and Dad died in a plane crash when Cal and I were 20, Colt said solemnly. You've seen the old airstrip? Julie nodded. My dad was a pilot. I see. I'm sorry. I don't know what we would have done without Reggie and Bonita. They've been honorary family members since we were kids.
Colt shared. My dad used to say, family isn't always blood. It's the people in your life who want you in theirs. I agree. Julie smiled softly at Colt. His heart skipped a beat. Maybe Dylan would like to come out here with you sometime. I'll take y'all riding. A real cowboy in action. He will love that. I will too. As long as you saddle up your oldest slow poke for me to ride, she winked. 11. Dylan was eager to visit the ranch when he returned from West Virginia. Julie brought him to work with her the last day of his winter break from school. Colt saddled a horse for him to ride around the pasture. Julie watched them from the ranch house's big bay windows. Dylan insisted on staying late to help Reggie's clean stalls. Winter break ended and Dylan had to go back to school. He begs to skip school so he can come to work with me, Julie told Colt. It told him this is my last week helping Callie. Why don't you let him skip Friday on your last day of work? Dylan, you, and I can ride the range. On Friday morning, Colt waited to saddle the horses until they arrived. He knew Dylan enjoyed helping. Colton liked the boy. He reminded him of himself at 12. Look, they're following us. Dylan shouted with glee. Callie's pet goats were galloping behind them, bleeding incessantly. They'll find their way back, Colt called back at him. Colt was leading the trail ride, followed by Julie and Dylan's horses. The goats got distracted by some cool season vegetation and abandoned the trail ride to fill their mouths with forbs. Scattered wisps of clouds covered the sky. Though it was a cool March day, the sun rays were dry, warm, and direct as they made a gradual ascend in the mountains. Julie thought she looked ridiculous in Callie Stenson, but she was glad she borrowed the broad brim hat. Dylan trotted his horse up alongside Colt. How high up are we? he asked. Just over 5,000 feet. That's about a mile. Wow, what a view. Julie interrupted them. I want to take a picture, but I'm afraid to take my hands off the reins. Dylan rolled his eyes at his mom's timidness around horses. Just wait. I'm taking y'all to the best overlook in these mountains. There is plenty of shade to rest the horses while we have lunch. I'll take your picture, Colt said. The overlook did not disappoint. Fresh pinion pines and red oaks peppered the peak. Colt handed Dylan a blanket and asked him to unroll it on a large, flat rock. Fire ants won't get us there. He pulled the meal from Pax and handed it to Julie, then followed her to the blanket with lukewarm bottles of water and sticks of crystal light lemonade mix. He handed her one of each. It makes warm water tolerable. She mixed one and took a long drink, nodding with approval. You're right. Colton had ridden up to this spot hundreds of times before, but he hadn't been to the overlook without a flask in at least two decades. This must be Bonita's doing, Julie said as she unpacked the picnic. Why do you say that? Think I can't pack a picnic? If you packed it, we'd be eating Pringles and beef jerky, not Bolitas with chicken and avocado and cinnamon biscuitito cookies. Guilty as charged, Colt smirked. After lunch, Julie and Dylan posed for pictures with the horses. Grandma's going to love these, Julie said to Dylan as she scrolled through the images. I'll text her as soon as I have a signal. Hey Colt, look at these tracks. Do you think it's a mountain lion? It's possible. 
I've seen mountain lions on the game camera, Black Bear 2. Julie's eyes widened. Dylan saw the look on his mother's face and said, Don't worry. We will keep you safe. She didn't know Colt well enough to disclose that she was in an abusive relationship with her ex-husband, Dylan's dad. Dylan had witnessed the worst of it. The fact he trusted Colt to protect her was a good sign. Colt stood looking out on the desert valley below. The natives call those Spanish daggers for the sharp leaves and cream and blood-red blooms. Some of them are already blooming. That means it's going to be an early spring. Do you fish in that creek? Dylan asked, pointing to a creek running through the valley. Tall cottonwoods highlighted its root with bright green spring leaves. I caught a lot of trout there when I was your age. I love to fish. My grandpa took me deep sea fishing for my birthday this summer. We took the RV down to the Gulf Coast and stayed an entire week. Your grandpa sounds like a cool dude, Colt said. He remembered Julie telling him how and Norma weren't actually the boy's grandparents. He thought about how much he looked up to his dad, Reggie, and the cowboys when he was Dylan's age. Dylan had mentioned his grandparents several times throughout the day, and not once mentioned his father. He is. And Trout is his favorite. If this creek ran through his property, he'd be out there every day. Bring him out here next time, and I'll dust off the old tackle box. We'll go fish. They mounted their horses and headed back down the mountain. Though they took their time, the return trip went too fast. Julie and Colt were enjoying one another's company. Dylan didn't want the day to end. The horses quickened their pace when they saw the barn and big house in the distance. Race ya! Dylan challenged Colt. The men took off galloping across the valley. Julie's horse broke into a gallop to keep pace with the other horses. She screamed and clung to the saddle horn for dear life. You let me win, Dylan said when Colt trotted in behind him. Did not. Colt smiled. They dismounted. Colt handed Dylan the reins of both horses. How about you bring them to the barn? I'll help your mom. He watched Julie's horse gallop towards him, her blonde hair waving wildly in the wind. Colt thought she looked beautiful. I lost the hat Callie lent me, Julie said when she arrived, out of breath. Let's go get it. Colt seized the chance to have a few private minutes with Julie. He lifted himself on the back of the horse so they were riding double, took the reins, and led the reluctant horse back to the valley. This is much less scary than riding alone, Julie said, enjoying the sun setting behind the mountains. Look how the sky turns from orange to pink to purple to blue, she pointed to the east. It's pretty, Colt said. Julie blushed because Colt had kept his eyes on her. Today was great. Thank you. Anytime. I mean it. I know your work here is done, but that's no excuse to stay away. I'm happy Callie's treatment was a success. Caring for Callie was the best assignment I've ever had. I'm going to miss seeing her every day. I'm going to miss seeing you every day, too. I could break my leg, Colt offered, or have my tonsils removed, if that's what it takes to keep you around. Or you could just ask me out. Good idea. Less painful. They retrieved the hat and went back to the barn. Dylan was helping Reggie with the animals. He had stretched his shirt to cradling eggs he'd collected from the coop. 
Why don't y'all stay for supper? Reggie said. It'd surprise me if Bonita hasn't already set spots for you. Can we, Mom? Dylan asked. Of course, Julie smiled at Colton. And they walked together towards the porch where Callie and Bonita stood waving to welcome them home.